Well, good morning. We're continuing our study of how to pray effectively. And over the past few weeks, I've noticed that there are a number of you who mention a burden for loved ones who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so this morning, we're going to look at how to pray evangelistically. And this is going to be more of a topical study in that I took to six different passages that have to do with evangelistic prayers and even organize them so that they spell out the word prayer. I know that may be a bit cheesy for some of you, but uh, I found it helpful in that when I pray, I've got a list of the kinds of things that I can bring before the Lord as I pray for the lost. So let's dive into our study. The first thing is to pray for opportunity or open doors for evangelism. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 4, where we read, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that, the, that God will open up to us a door for the word so we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison. Now, notice in context here, Paul asks for us to devote ourselves to prayer. Now, the word emphasizes at least three aspects. It, it first of all, involves an unrelenting persistence. We looked at the importance of persistence in prayer and so this is the kind of thing that should regularly find its way uh, into our time of prayer before the Lord. Notice that he prays that we would be alert. Now the word carries three practical ramifications. Number one, to be watchful and vigilant, to be careful that we don't cease to pray evangelistically. Secondly, it means to be aware of the specific needs, to get in the habit of looking at prayer letters from your missionaries, of listening to our brothers here when they mention someone who they're burdened for who don't know Jesus Christ, so that you're cognizant and alert with regard to the needs that surround us, and that you're attentive amid, amid weariness and distraction. You know, it's very easy in the midst of a busy day in our work schedules to pray for what we perceive to be the urgent. And before you know it, we get out of the practice of praying for our missionaries, praying for those that you and I may know who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Notice he also prays that we are to pray with thanksgiving because we know that God is at work in the lives of those that we come in contact with, whether it's someone um, that, like Eugene mentioned, that you casually meet at a hardware store, or it's a family member that you've been praying for for a long time. You know our Lord works all things together for good, and that he is actively involved in the hearts and minds of those who have not yet trusted in Christ. Notice that the specific prayer request is that the Lord would open a door to share the gospel, to create a opportunity 
for you or for someone you're praying for to share the gospel. And in the context of thanksgiving, we may not even know that the Lord is working, but his timing is absolutely perfect. And as a result, as we pray, God moves in response to our prayer. One of the neat things about this particular prayer is that we know nine months later, when Paul writes the book of Philippians, he mentions the fact that the gospel had spread among the entire Praetorium Guard. Approximately 9,000 soldiers had heard the gospel, no doubt because God had opened the door to do that. Don't underestimate the power of prayer, the, the power of opportunity. Even as Eugene shared, praying for an opportunity to share with family members, with those whom you come in contact with. I'm mindful of the fact that um, Rebecca and I were living in eastern Colorado, and uh, there was a retired John Deere uh, mechanic who lived next door. And so I got to know him fairly well. And I began praying that the Lord would open an opportunity for me to share the gospel with him. And I prayed that way for over a year. And then one day his wife shared with me that he had been diagnosed with a terminal form of cancer and it was basically untreatable. So he basically was looking at six to nine months, even though they can't set the date precisely. So I happened to be working in the yard and I noticed John was out. And so I went over and said, John, your wife told me the bad news and I've been wanting to talk to you about how you can know that when you die, you're gonna to go to heaven. So just let me know when you wanna have that conversation and I would love to talk to you about it. Cause John was a reserved kind of guy who didn't often talk about spiritual things. So I didn't wanna pressure him. And wouldn't you know, the next day I got a text from John and said, I'm ready for that conversation. Wide open door, sat there for two hours and had the, the opportunity to share the gospel with him after which he trusts Christ as a savior. It may be a short time, it may be a long time, but if you pray for this, be ready. Because when God answers it, you need to seize the opportunity and be ready to share your faith. Any questions or comments on this first aspect of praying evangelistically? Yeah. When you get, you get to that point, where is it best to go? I know I always think Psalms and Proverbs, but is it Book of John? I mean, where do you go? Um, you know, there are a lot of different approaches on a one-to-one -one level. I can give you a number of different helpful guides. A place I like that keeps it very simple is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Uh, Paul says, here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried, uh, rose again from the dead according to the scriptures. It's all right there. So that 1 Corinthians 15, 1, uh, 1 through 11 uh, is one passage that has everything you need in one spot. And we can, you know, there are the, there's the Romans Road, uh, there's the Master's Way, there's lots of uh, presentations where you can use a, a variety of scriptures. But basically, you just need to clearly share that a person needs to believe that Jesus Christ, God's Son, died in their place from their sins and rose again. 
It's that simple. Uh, so, and that passage is very easy to use in that context. Yeah. Tom, what I wanted to comment is, I like your story so much. I wish I was that wise to recognize. Give it me an opportunity to come back to me on the time to write. And it perfectly aligns with 4 6. Just a couple verses down. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer everyone. And I think that's exactly what you did. Exactly. Every person is different. Some people you, you need to push. Some people you need to let them process. And that's where the Lord gives you wisdom. Uh, sometimes your response needs to lead them on. I had a neighbor one time who was very antagonistic toward the gospel, but knew I was religious. And I remember on the day of prayer, he said, uh, Tom, you must really like the day of prayer uh, since you're a religious guy. And I said, actually, I don't. And he, he, he was taken back by that. And he, I said, it makes a mistake, it gives a mistaken impression that anybody can pray to God and that a person doesn't need to recognize that there's only one way to approach Jesus Christ, um, to approach God, and that's through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sometimes you need to respond in a way that's going to create, you know, uh, interest in pursuing the conversation. Uh, so for the wisdom to know when to share, and again, opportunity may not be for you. It may be for someone else. We were praying for my grandmother's salvation, uh, Roman Catholic for years, and um, uh, after 30 years, she used to come to church with us, and after the service, she said, I think I'd like to talk to the pastor about trusting Christ. Um, bless her heart. Uh, we called our pastor who had a busy afternoon schedule. He dropped everything, drove an hour to where my grandmother spent the afternoon with her and led her to faith in Jesus Christ. When God opens the door, go through it. If it's not you, pray that the person that the Lord is going to use sees the opportunity and seizes it as an opportunity. Now, that doesn't mean they're always going to trust Christ on the first uh, listen, the first opportunity to hear. But one of the powerful aspects of prayer, and I know I've been convicted in my own life about this, is when we ask for opportunities and look for them, God opens doors according to his providence. May not be immediate, may not be automatic, but it will happen. And it may not even be for you to share, but it will be an opportunity for them to hear because God isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should come to faith in Jesus Christ. With that, notice Paul goes on to pray in verse 4, that I make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Notice that as we share the gospel, we need to be as transparently clear as we possibly can. That's why I appreciate Arnold's question. We ought to have a very simple, clear way of sharing the gospel. Now, when they have questions, that's where you pull out the additional scriptures. Maybe they don't believe they're a sinner. Maybe they don't believe that Maybe they don't believe that um, uh, he died and rose again. 
That's where you can go to additional passages of Scripture. But especially as we pray for our missionaries, we need to be mindful of the fact that where there are language barriers, where there are cultural barriers, it can be a challenge. For those of you who've tried witnessing to a child or grandchild, You'll know the challenges of stating it in a way that a childlike mind can grasp what it is you're saying. Or it can even be something as simple as avoiding Christian ease, like ask Jesus into your heart. What is it you're asking the person to do when you use that phrase? Or would you like to be born again? Even Nicodemus didn't understand what Jesus was saying when he stated it that way. We need to be able to create interest, but we also need to be able to communicate the gospel in terms that the person can clearly and accurately grasp with regard to what it is you're asking them to do. You're asking them to put their faith alone in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Okay, any questions on that? Yeah. Okay, so I... I'm going to have my 10-year-old granddaughter today that I found out last night. I've got a strange situation with my oldest. So mm -hmm. I get to see her but three or four times a year. So I know she's not sick. So what do I ask her? Um, well, you know, there, there's a number of ways. You, is she interested in spiritual things at all? I probably would have to say she has no clue what they are. <laughs> Well, one of the beautiful things about this season of the year, you could start by just asking her, have you ever read the Christmas story? Um, and um, see where the discussion leads. Um, is it about the Grinch? Is it about Rudolph? Or does she have any idea at all? And if she does, um, you could even take her to... Um, uh, he does. As a matter of fact, he says, uh, you know, you can't beat what the angels say on the night. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's your outline. In other words, so that's probably the direction I want to go because it's tied into the season and it would be a natural thing rather than just, I mean, I'm, I've the one what would happen to you if you died today but that might be a bit abrupt when you've got you know especially when you you're driving right so <laughs> so you don't want to create anxiety with regard to your ability to handle the car so uh, of course if you want to force a conversion you could take it up to 80 or 90 miles an hour and then ask her the question and no just kidding I'm not advocating that form of evangelism at all so any other questions? I think the big thing is just go to your family mm -hmm. and talk to them. Exactly. And that's the beautiful thing, um, that when you have the opportunity to talk to family in a natural context, especially around the season of the year, Easter is another great opportunity to, to see what it is they understand or misunderstand about the holiday. Okay, receptivity in evangelism. This one we go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And notice that in this passage we read, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the, Lord will, uh, that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, 
just as it did also with you, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. Notice that what Paul is actually asking for here is success in evangelism. The idea of spread rapidly is an athletic metaphor. It has the idea of running, spreading widely, and reaching the goal. God is glorified when people who hear the gospel recognize, honor it, and embrace it. So what Paul is asking for here is that the gospel would spread widely and be received openly. And so here we're asking that the Lord would grant those who are witnessing success in their evangelism. Notice too, that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. In the process, there will be those who reject the gospel. And those who reject could become so antagonistic that they oppose what's right, uh, intend on corrupting others, blocking the opportunity of others to hear. So notice that here we're praying for those who are not receptive, that they wouldn't oppose to the degree, they wouldn't block the opportunity for others to hear and respond to the message. So again, here again we're asking for people to be open and receptive to what it is we have to say. And I think here it's, it's encouraging to think that there are people who would respond if given the opportunity. Sometimes we take a defeatist mentality in this approach and all along God has appointments scattered throughout your day, your week, or your year with people who if asked would indeed trust in Jesus Christ. I remember a number of years ago, I had a woman, I was in the pastorate, uh, named Sandy, who asked me if I would do her mother's funeral. And I said, um, sure, when, when's it going to be? And she said, well, she hasn't died yet, which I thought was an unusual request. But apparently, she was terminally ill with brain cancer. And uh, so I said, um, can I go visit her? Because she said, I don't think my mother is a believer. And she was in a facility about two hours north of where we live. And she said, now with brain cancer, they've got her on uh, some heavy-duty pain medication. She sleeps most of the time. You can go up there and try to talk to her, but I'm not sure she'll make any sense. So Rebecca and I prayed, first of all, for opportunity. Secondly, for clarity. And third that we would be successful. Well, we drove up there. Rebecca and I, Rebecca's my wife, walked into her room and they're greeted by a woman who is wide awake and lucid. So I share with her who I am and I'm there and I share the gospel with her and I get to the end of the presentation and say, would you like to trust Christ as your savior? And she says, yes. Well, I'm named Thomas for a reason, okay? Uh, I said, it can't be this simple. It must be the medication. So I go back through the gospel a second time using a different set of verses, get to the same point, and ask her, would you like to trust in Jesus Christ? And she says, yes. So 
being the skeptic that I am, I go through the gospel one more time, different set of verses, same conclusion. So we pray together. She pl places her trust in Jesus Christ. And just about then, Sandy, her daughter, arrives. And I turned to Sandy and said, your mother trusted Jesus Christ as her savior. And she smiled and said, yes, three times. And the reason that was so significant was, here's a woman that I was worried about being lucid, who God opened the opportunity to be successful. Two to three hours later, she slipped into a coma from which she never woke up again. And a week later, I did her funeral. God may have an appointment like that for you where if you pray for the opportunity, you pray for clarity, you pray for success, you'll, the only thing I hope for you is that you're not as skeptical as I am. When, when you ask a person and they say, yes, rejoice in the Lord and uh, ask them to, to pray with you as you trust, in, as you lead them in trusting in Jesus Christ. Okay, any questions on this? Okay, a yearning to evangelize. Uh, this is a little bit of a stretch, but it was the only Y word I could come up with, so I apologize. But notice we read, and now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. Now, the word confidence here is a word that is consistently in the context of some sort of antagonism, threat, or opposition. Now, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John... Uh, were preaching the gospel, and the Sadducees in particular had them arrested for preaching the resurrection. They are tried by the nation's leaders, and they are commanded not to speak about Jesus. So Peter and John's first response was to go to the Lord in prayer and ask that the Lord would continue to give them confidence. Notice that confidence involves not being fearful in a antagonistic context. But it also has the idea of being assured enough that you continue to share your faith open, honestly, and straightforwardly. So it describes that virtue that is free to speak about the gospel honest and straightforward, a boldness that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. I love using this passage because notice what happens in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had shaken uh, was gathered, where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. The same word as confidence. God answers prayer. If we ask for confidence, we ask for boldness, God is going to give it to us. Now, notice that boldness is not a factor of being confident in a movie or a tract or a technique. Those are all helpful. Tracts are good. Techniques are good. But confidence comes from the power of the Holy Spirit in an individual who is yielded to his influence. It's not confidence in me. It's not confidence in my ability to reason and argue. 
It's confidence in God's word. It's confidence in the power of the gospel. And all you and I need to do is share it clearly and accurately and let the power of the word of God operate in the individual's life. Now, interestingly enough, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, they actually had this boldness earlier when they appeared before the Sanhedrin. And I wanted to point this out to you because it's really kind of a neat comment on the part of the text. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, now this is the leaders of the nation. As they observed the confidence, same Greek term, of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. That's the key to confidence, having been with Jesus. If you're a man who's in the word, if you're a man who's empowered by the Holy Spirit, you can have a assurance that is not cockiness, that is not arrogance, but you can also be bold enough to share the truth without equivocation. That's a direct response of prayer in the life of the individual. Any comments, observations on that? All right. We also pray for evangelists to evangelize. For this one, we're going to turn to a familiar passage in Luke chapter 10, where our Lord tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Notice that again, as our Lord looks out over a, a vast body of people, he sees a abundant harvest. And often in evangelistic praying, I've asked the Lord to help me see that as well. Like I said, often I think our eyes are tainted by the world to the point that we take on a defeatist mentality that no one wants to trust Christ. Uh, I'm, in the, I'm in the minority here, we're under attack. Whereas when Christ looked around him, he saw those who would respond if given the opportunity. So that he saw evangelism as being largely successful, but the problem was a laborer shortage. But notice rather than recruiting, he encourages his disciples to pray. Because when the desire comes from within, you can't thwart the efforts of the evangelist. Let me restate that. For a person to be an effective evangelist, it takes the internal constraint and compulsion that they are doing God's work, that they are responding to his leading in their life. And when a person is doing that, there's no stopping them. And so here we're praying that the Lord would raise up individuals whom God commissions who go out boldly for the purpose of sharing the gospel. Now, the other interesting thing is normally the term laborer denotes someone who is involved in this activity full time. And I think in its narrowest interpretation, this is a prayer that the Lord would raise up vocational pastors and missionaries 
who are committed to laboring full-time, doing hard work in winning the lost of faith in Jesus Christ. For those of you who are part of a local church, I would encourage you to pray that the Lord would raise up laborers out of your own church who become vocational pastors and missionaries. I grew up in a church where our pastor had that vision and encouraged us as a church to begin to pray that way. And over a 10-year period of time, we had 10 young people go into full-time Christian service, half of them as pastors and half of them as missionaries, who saw it as their pastoral task and as the missionary task to win the lost to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, there's something exciting about seeing the Lord work in the life of a young man or a young woman whom the Lord lays upon their heart to enter the Lord's work in a full-time vocational manner. Any questions, comments, observations on that? Now, obviously, this doesn't prevent us from praying that you and I do the work of evangelism, but I think the connotation of the term labor lends itself to the idea that we're praying that the Lord will raise up men and women who are willing to share, whether here in the, in the states or um, across the world to gospel destitute areas of our globe. Any comments on that? Okay, the final one is to pray for the lost by name. Oops. Notice that this is a longer passage, so let's read it first. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice first of all, the word urge and the word entreaty have the idea of a genuine sense of burden. And if nothing else this morning, I hope we leave with a renewed sense of burden to pray for the lost and to pray for evangelism, to make that a priority each day as we go to the Lord in prayer. Notice specifically, we are to pray for lost people. And that's why I asked Tom if he would encourage us to share the name of a lost person that we can take before the Lord on a regular basis. Um, because God desires all men to be saved. And as a result, we are to be interceding on behalf of those individuals. Perhaps it's a family member, or perhaps it's an acquaintance. Perhaps you're not even sure of their relationship to the Lord, but you'd like an opportunity to find out, and if they don't know Jesus Christ, to share the gospel with them, or to pray that they would be given an opportunity to hear. Now, notice that he takes the big group of all individuals, and narrows it to the kings and those who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. He prays particularly here that for those who are in positions of governmental authority in an ideal world that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine a country where every legislator at every level was thoroughly committed to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? 
Don't think it couldn't happen, though. And when was the last time you prayed that way? I mean, there have been eras in our country where revival has broken out, and Christ himself said, you have not because you ask not. So sometimes I think part of the reason we don't see more power displayed by the church is the world has succeeded in creating a defeatist mentality that we can't claim the promises of God with the boldness that God encourages us to pray. Now, if they don't come to faith in Christ, though, it's kind of like the earlier petition we saw. We're praying that the government would at least allow believers to share their faith and to assemble in peace. And I think our country is still in the position where, by God's grace, we're allowed to do that. We're allowed to share our faith. We're allowed to assemble in a local church and, and meet as believers. And furthermore, we can continue to live a godly and dignified life. That as the pre-evangelistic step, we can live as salt and light in a fallen world where unbelievers get an opportunity to see what a genuine believer looks like. So notice here we're praying that for those who who are in authority, that they would at least be open to allowing freedom of religion, freedom of evangelism, freedom to share the faith, and for us to pursue godliness and dignity in our own lifestyle. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Notice that this is a kind of prayer request that God wants us to pray because he wants the lost to be persuaded by the gospel. God actually wants the world to come to faith in him. So that, notice that uh, the, the Lord here is pleased by this kind of prayer. So I would encourage you to begin to form a list of lost people that you would like to see come to faith in Jesus Christ and begin interceding regularly for them. And if you don't know any lost people, to pray that the Lord would begin to raise your awareness. It may be a friend of yours has a family member. It may be a missionary who's trying to, to witness someone. But hopefully these six keys to evangelistic prayer will find its way into our prayer life where we can intercede for ourselves, uh, but we can also pray on behalf of others who are doing the work of evangelism, whether our local church or the missionaries that we support. Any questions or comments, observations, things you'd like to share? Yeah. What's the next step for people that, you know, they say they've asked Christ in their heart, but we as believers maybe don't see any fruit, no desire to study, there's no desire to read, they just maybe go to church and that's it. Okay. There's things that, you know, that they do that aren't things that believers do normally. Excellent. Yeah. The neg those, those are always difficult. The Lord knows the heart and knows whether the problem is they are a genuine believer and just need to be encouraged to grow or whether they haven't genuinely trusted in Christ. But that's where, to the degree that you can be used to the Lord to fuel some sort of interest, whether it's um, providing 
some literature that you found particularly helpful, like a devo- maybe a devotional book, something that uh, they can do on a daily basis, inviting them to iron to iron if it's a, if it's a guy, or inviting them to a, to a one-time uh, men's outing at your church. or uh, And that's where praying for wisdom will also, knowing... Uh, wisdom will help you to know what would work most effectively in this particular uh, person's life. Um, and it's not always easy or automatic. I mentioned about my grandmother a while ago. Uh, my mom used to make roast on Sunday for a noon uh, meal. And she found out my grandmother absolutely loved her roast. So she said, tell you what, mom. If you'll go to church with us, we'll take you home and you can have roast every Sunday with us. And it worked for years. She came before she trusted Christ to church with us and had lunch with us. And I'd like, uh, I'm ashamed to admit, at least initially, I think it was because she liked the roast that she had at lunch. But over time, she began to listen to the pastor's messages. And I think that was part of what ultimately led her to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in the case that you're sharing, it may be maybe the pastor's message would challenge them to begin to grow in grace and the knowledge of our, our Lord. Uh, but um, if I can help you personally, if there's a specific person, I'd be glad to share some more uh, specific ways that you might use in their life. But the Lord gives wisdom, and I'll certainly be praying for you as well, that he'll give you insight as to what might fuel the flame in those particular individuals. But you've raised an interesting point too. If you do lead someone to faith in Jesus Christ, be sure to try to arrange some sort of follow-up where they get plugged into a church. There's someone who mentors them in the faith so they they don't just flounder like a newborn baby with no one to care for them great question any other questions comments yeah i have a question i just was reading about the idea that there's a a lean toward a freedom of worship and not a freedom of religion that people want to change in the perspective that one you do in a certain place of no, I'm not familiar with that, but, you know, Satan's going to do everything he can to stop the spread of the gospel. That's the bottom line fact. And if he can make it more difficult to share in a public venue or to share openly, um, he's going to do everything he can to do it. But the gospel is not bound. And one of the reasons I love working with guys like you is whether it's in a private conversation, the privacy of your own home, uh, God, who is not willing that any should perish, is going to open a door where you can safely share in spite of what the government does. And I think there's a time when, like Peter and John, we need to say, you know, you can command me not to share the gospel, but I'm responding to a higher call. If God says, share it, I'm going to share it. We, we may need to be creative in the specific contexts in which we do that. But we don't allow the world to win and silence our voice. And that's the key. We can't let the world succeed in shutting down our evangelistic witness. That's what it's all about. Exactly. And Satan would love that. Any other comments, observations? 
All right, well, it's been good and we're out of time, so let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank you that you open doors of opportunity simply in response to prayer, that you give us clarity and boldness, that you raise up workers. We thank you, our Father, that you are desirous of the lost people we know and care about have not yet trusted you as their Savior. Lord, I pray that as a result of our time together, we would become more diligent in our prayer life, more focused in our prayer life, and that we would see answers to prayer as the lost come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.